Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a senior research analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices in human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices. From HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, my co-host Kevin Martin and I had a great conversation with Sarah Hansen, Executive Vice President of Human Resources at Dutch Bros Coffee. She described how they have tailored their culture and employee value proposition for their largest group of shop employees, the members of Generation Z. But before we get to that, I4CP is currently conducting a study on AI and HR, implications and opportunities. This survey explores questions about both generative AI and other AI-related activities, including automation, traditional machine learning, and more. This 15-minute survey will be open until early July, so please consider participating in this research and you will be amongst the first to receive the results. Just visit i4cp.com and click the link for the survey at the top of the page. Okay, now for the discussion with Sarah Hansen, Executive Vice President of Human Resources at Dutch Bros Coffee. Thanks, Tom. Hey, I, everyone, I'm super thrilled to be able to introduce uh, Sarah Hansen. And Sarah, um, in full disclosure, is a member of our Chief HR Officer Board, uh, which is a group of HR officers that we convene on a regular basis to try to not only have community, but really provide the best forward-looking thinking that we can. And uh, Sarah has uh, graciously shared a lot of what she's done with Dutch Bros with that group and with our other communities. And I cannot wait to see what the next phase in your growth cycle is here, Sarah. So welcome. And why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us, tell the team a little bit about you and Dutch Bros. Sure. Thanks, Kevin. And Thanks, Zeta, for the uh, music choice. I need a little inspiration to be brave and and kind of facilitate uh, this conversation. Uh, but uh, we're a drive-through coffee company. I say coffee in quotes because we really do serve a variety of beverages, but we're considered a drive-through coffee company in the QSR space, um, known to be a fun-loving, mind-blowing company that makes a massive difference one cup at a time. Uh, opened up in 1992 in a little town called Grants Pass, Oregon. For those of you on the West Coast, many of you are probably familiar uh, with Dutch Bros Coffee because we've pretty much taken the the West Coast by storm, but uh, predominantly a franchised operation up until 2017, at which point we kind of converted over to run mostly company-owned stores. Uh, We continue to have our existing franchisees who can grow, but uh, all new locations uh, are company-owned. We're currently in 14 states, will be 16 uh, before the end of the year. Um, About 750 locations, just a tick under, uh, and a little over 20,000 employees that work for us. Um, And as of 2021, in September, we became a publicly traded company. So that's a little bit about our business. Um, Myself, I've been with the company for uh, 11 years uh, next month. So I've really watched it 
grow. Our HR department started as 1.5 FTEs, and that included me. And as of this morning, we're at 61 employees in the HR department. Uh, so we've expanded pretty rapidly um, in, a, in what I would consider a pretty short amount of time. Uh, we have a very aggressive growth strategy uh, targeting around 150 shops per year uh, with a target of at least 800 by the end of this year. So pretty exciting, pretty fast, pretty agile, uh, doing a lot of work in a lot of spaces uh, all at once. So but happy to be here. Yeah, Sarah, I mean, it's such an amazing growth story before we get into the stuff that we're going to talk about here. But just I mean, just so people can really understand the growth that you're going through. I was reading your financials and year over year at the end of quarter one of this year, you had expanded stores by 25 percent. I think it was total stores year over year, 25 percent. Yeah. When we say aggressive, we mean aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, our, our path is what we call the smiley face. So our growth. So for those of you that are maybe in the central northern part of the country, um, sorry, we're, we're, it's going to be a while before we get to, to those spaces. But we're traveling along the south right now and we're kind of going to be coming up through to about Virginia on the east coast. Uh, and I think we're targeting by 2030 to have 4,000 shops open. That's our goal. So Wow. Yeah. And, and on, that, on that front, I just wanted to note, um, I'll be watching the chat and I encourage folks to use the chat today to uh, to ask questions of you, Sarah, and, and I'll, I'll curate through those. Um, but you're getting some kudos right off the bat just for Dutch bros. Gene Gleason said, yay, so happy to see them in Kansas now. Yes. So you're definitely already in, in the mid part of the country. And a couple of others, very big fan of Dutch bros and the sticker drops. I'm not familiar uh, with that. Ah, yes, once uh, a month. Wednesday. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, I and someone else said that they had the Snickers coffee a million years ago. Yum. Ah, okay. Very nice. <laughs> We've got a fun one coming out for the 4th of July weekend, so keep your eyes peeled. It's It's a doozy. Wow. Hey, and you heard it here first, folks. That's why we're on the cutting edge of next. <laughs> and hey, Sarah, just just real quickly, because I think this fits really well, at least in my warped mind. I think it fits so well into where we're taking the conversation today. But given Dutch Bros purposeful move towards company owned and operated stores. So right now, Probably what two thirds of your stores are company owned and operated versus franchised. Uh, about a tick over half at the moment. But, okay, um, moving very quickly to the two thirds mark for sure. And, and what what percentage of those company owned stores are the store managers? People who came up from within the ranks at Dutch Bros versus being hired externally. Thanks for asking. One hundred percent. So we only grow from within. So you intern as a barista, but in order to become a leader in what we call our four walls, so within the shop, uh, you have to be a, a current employee. Uh, we don't hire management levels from the outside. I mean, that, that to me is like a drop the mic moment, right? <laughs> I mean, how many organizations can provide that, right? I mean, you literally... This pipeline, this Gen Z is so critical to your future pipeline and the growth that you're outlining here. And so for people wondering, why is Sarah so focused on Gen Z? Well, because this is a critical pipeline of talent for you at your stores and your future growth. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as I shared earlier with uh, Kevin and Tom, over 93% of our 
field population falls within this category. So very, very much a, a large portion and one that we really wanna make sure we understand on how to attract and inevitably retain uh, so that we have the pipeline we need for our leadership roles and ultimately what we call our operators uh, who are responsible for the oversight and management of multiple shops. So in order to be an operator, you do have to have been a broista as we call them and go up the chain between ship, man uh, ship lead, assistant manager, manager, and potentially regional manager before becoming an operator. So, um, you know, we're talking about years of uh, in-depth kind of infusion into our culture and our operations before, before becoming an operator. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you can, and, and Tom, I know you're going to be looking at the social, but I think we've got some good questions coming in here through the social sphere that we'll throw over to Sarah. But Sarah, you've just talked to everyone about why the Gen Z population is so important and 93% of your store employees that yeah. represents them, right? What have you learned about this group? Um, and, you know, can you, uh, you know, what's influenced them, et cetera, from your perspective? Sure. Um, it, I, it's pretty much a, a pretty timely conversation. I actually started uh, doing some of this work back in late August of last year and it kind of moved through, you know, the course of the last 12 months. But this morning, the New York Times had uh, posted some information from the Census Bureau that says that the average, or I should say median age of um, United States employees is now almost 39 years old, uh, which in 1980 was 30. And so there is some concern around what, what we're going to do as the baby boomers continue to exit out and our Gen Z population is not going to be able to fill all the gaps. Uh, so uh, it felt pretty, pretty timely to kind of be looking a little bit more deeply at, the, at this group. Um, but uh, a couple of things here. One, I just wanted to note, I have a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. So I'm hyper aware of the... the um, experiential uh, drama, if you will, uh, that comes with becoming new to the to the employment workforce. Uh, my son, who's 21, actually worked for the company for a couple of years um, as he was leaving high school and kind of just trying to find his way. Now is uh, actually in a trade school to become a pilot, uh, but has um, since, since left the company to focus on that. And then my daughter, who was 17, just entered the workforce and it was interesting to watch her apply for jobs and what she, how she was filtering between the ones that she was interested in pursuing and those that she was interested in accepting interviews for. So it was, uh, it was pretty timely there. Uh, but what we saw over the course probably of the last three or four years, which kind of engulfed the, um, the COVID pandemic. And then as we came out of it, the, uh, crazy rates of inflation were that a lot of the applicants were kind of shifting their focus from highly um, high energy on what's the, the lifestyle impact that the job will have to what is the financial stability that the job can offer me, which hadn't been our focus in the past because we're known as, you know, a very lively operation. We have a lot of fun. Maybe we don't pay the highest going rate for a broista, which we recognize our customers are very generous with kind of supplementing through, you know, tips, but um, people have come and stayed because they enjoy coming to work and they enjoy the 
opportunity to give back to the communities. It's more of a feeling than it is a financial, but that has since started to kind of shift to where having a, a stable income is the, the driving force uh, for this group, but they are not willing to relinquish the lifestyle expectations as well. So rather than seeing it as shifting levers or compromising, there's a lot more demand for, for both um, financial stability and lifestyle um, tailored to them. Uh, so, you know, we, we kind of looked at that and said, okay, how are we going to have to kind of shift our, uh, how we attract uh, new young uh, employees and, and quite frankly, older employees. Uh, it just, that the majority of the people that apply for our jobs because it, it is actually pretty physically taxing our, our younger. How are we going to attract and then retain them? Uh, so there's a couple things that we did. Um, and the list that you see on the screen here is kind of what kind of came out of two, two things. One, it was a grassroots research where I actually went in kind of like undercover boss mode and um, applied to, got offered a job and then trained to be a barista in one of our Nashville operations. And I, I put undercover boss also in quotes because the operator of that shop, as well as the manager and assistant manager were all aware of what I was doing. Cause I want to make sure I got offered the job. So heaven forbid I screw up the interview. Right. And then they, they not offer me the job or I wait a few weeks and I haven't heard back. And then I act like a normal Gen Z and I go somewhere else for a different job. Right. So, uh, so they, they knew, and I, I spent the next uh, eight weeks uh, in the shop three days a week, uh, six hours a day training to be a barista. And so through that time, I had casual conversations with the employees, um, just kind of observed what was going on when they would have conversations with their leaders, their coworkers, their customers, uh, to get a sense of you know, what, what they enjoyed and, and what they didn't and how we could upsell that part of the experience. Uh, and then I combined that with doing some online research, um, you know, just with some institutions like Harvard, PwC, um, uh -huh. places like that to see kind of what, what came out of it. And, and these were the, the eight areas that we, we really um, noted. Um, so, I mean, we can go through them if you had some other questions you want to ask first or more about my experience. Well, I think, you know, Sarah, I want to go back here and just kind of look yeah. at some of the questions here yeah. and, and that, and there's one that's gotten uh, like four thumbs up around it, but, you know, it, it's a question that sticks to just, you know, when you're, hiring and growing when you're hiring people in and growing them and only the store only store managers are those that come up through the system in that regard how do you keep fresh ideas within the organization yeah yeah that's that's a great question um there's a couple of things that we do right now one of them is what we call we have the operator advisory board and the franchise advisory board uh, both of which have kind of cross-pollination of ideas our franchisees are really great on the entrepreneurial side. Uh, that's ultimately why they chose to franchise with us back in the day. And um, they have 10 plus years of experience working for us and, and doing some of their own, their own research on what's working. Uh, so they often collaborate with the operators and the managers and other leaders that we have internally. Um, and we engage with them from a, a headquarters standpoint um, on a monthly basis to share ideas and, and talk through uh, different options. And it's amazing how many new ideas actually come from just uh, operators being in different parts of the country um, and having completely diverse um, 
population of employees, which is something we're also um, really spending quite a bit of time on with our uh, director of DEI, um, looking at the various um, detailed communities that people are um, working from and how they approach work-life balance and you know, the, even the drinks that they enjoy more than others in different parts of the country. So the, the, the franchise advisory board, I would assume, mm-hmm. is comprised of the, your, your, of the you know, half of or whatever percentage are franchise-owned and operated. It's a group yeah. of franchisors or yes. franchisees in that yes. regard. Mm-hmm. And then you've got on the operator side, who constitutes an operator? Are those the managers of those stores or are they employees across a select swath? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our titles are a little bit different than probably the traditional in, in the QSR world, but our operators would be kind of like the regional directors, regional managers. So operators oversee up to typically four or five shops. We have a couple on the West Coast that oversee up to 10 shops, but they're responsible for the full-on operations, the PL, everything related to a, a larger number of shops. And then we have what we call regional managers, which are if an operator has more than, say, three locations, they have a regional manager that helps with a little bit more of the, the weekly operational requirements of a smaller number of stores on their behalf. And then the managers are those that run the day-to-day operations in an individual shop. Mm-hmm. And then, so going back here, thanks thanks for clarifying that, yeah. Sarah. And another question was, you know, how long does it take someone who comes in as a new employee, um, what's that path look like from going new employee all the way up to perhaps being the manager of a shop? Yeah, so management of shops, it's varied um, more recently than it has in the past just because of our aggressive growth. But ideally, we want someone to be a barista for a minimum of six to 12 months before they elevate to what we would call a shift lead. So a little bit of added responsibility there. They do exactly what their job says, which is they're kind of responsible for ensuring that the flow of the shift is successful and taking low-level concerns from customers and employees. Um, And then from there, it's six to 12 months for each position thereafter. So assistant manager and then a manager. So you you can expect most of the time to take two to three years to become a manager of a location. And granted, the locations are... Um, relatively small. They're not, we're not talking like restaurant size locations. We're talking more between 20 and maybe 35 employees uh, per shop. Now, volumes can be exceptionally high, but from managing a, a team of people, we're talking 20 to, to 35 employees. Got it. Got it. And then, you know, and what? thank you for being so open to taking these like comments that are just coming in from from the audience here, Sarah. But, you know, something I was curious about, We, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Tom and Mike and Zeta's colleagues, uh, Carol Morrison, led a research study for us on engaging older workers. And I know you were mm-hmm. part of the, you know, when we shared it back to the CHRO board, some of those yeah. findings. But, you know, one of the things that I was astonished to learn is that the large gap between available workers and jobs that are opening out there, a large portion of that gap, both in the United States and the United Kingdom, is attributed to um, people who are 50 years plus who are not actively in the workforce, whatever reason that is. And, you know, we've been talking about the demographic shifts and the aging population as well. And so there's going to be a lot more as 
things as the years progress, a lot more older people available to work than there are younger people available to work. Do you have plans to, and I know that you do have older workers working in your shops, but do you have plans um, or strategies involved to, um, you know, uh, target the quote unquote, the, the slightly older generation, you know, workers out there? I don't know that we have any specific targeted to a, an age demographic. I would say that we still are predominantly a part-time workforce. So that oftentimes doesn't work well for that, that age range. They're looking for full-time in our experience anyway. Um, and the work that they do, they spend, you know, five to seven hours on their feet. So we're also, you know, looking for people who have the, the desire to have that kind of physical activity. So we actually have really had great success with um, that population of individuals who desire both of those things to be physically active and work part-time hours uh, with that type of flexibility. Um, we just find they aren't able to stay around with us as long because the, the part-time hours just don't work out for them. Uh, more than anything else. Um. <clears throat> so regarding the uh, all all of the things that we're seeing here on the screen, yeah, um, I, I'm 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 reflecting on these, and to me, technology native, the one on the top left, applies yeah. very much to Gen Z and to some extent millennials. Um, the rest of these, I would say really could apply to everyone in the workforce to varying degrees. And I think the call out here is that at least some of them are more prominent with, with the younger generations, millennials and particularly Gen Z. So for example, engaged in political and social activism, concerned about equity and inclusion. I think if you were to most of the surveys that we've seen, you know, maybe those are stronger with the younger generation, but it's not like those shouldn't be part of the EVP, the employee value prop for all of your employees. Yeah. Really, to me, only technology native, which is just a fact about younger people, that they grew up with technology that, that those of us in the older generations didn't. That's the only one that sort of is specific to that generation. Can you comment on that and maybe just comment on your broader EVP as, as an organization, including even corporate employees, and how all of these maybe are, are relevant to, to everyone? Yeah, yeah. So specifically on the, the technology native, I called that out because there's a couple of things that we've noted, and it's been a, a lot in as we evaluate hiring, kind of our uh, application hiring process, that from a technology standpoint, um, a couple of things were noted. One is snackable content. So their attention span is, no offense, the size of a gnat. I mean, they, <laughs> they truly and I love them dearly, and but they... They really don't have a very large attention span. So anything that's more than two to three minutes in content that they're observing, they're, they're onto something else. Um, and that lends itself too also to this idea of quickly switching through apps and wanting to do one thing for a second and move on to something else just for stimulation. So we had to really, um, we had to really pare down our application process to something that shouldn't take more than two to three minutes to complete. Uh, which wasn't necessarily the case before. And if you think about HR, they want to put all of their compliance information and all of their fine, fine print and all of that stuff up front to get it through before they go through the experiential onboarding piece. Well, that, that doesn't bode well for, for this generation. So we spent a lot of time looking at how we can narrow that down to a few, a few clicks, which lends itself to the other thing we noted, which is they're very used to one-click purchases. 
So they're also, you know, their expectation is that they should be able to do pretty much any activity with one click. Also not super conducive to walking through various stages of applying and becoming an employee and doing some onboarding. So um, we continue to look at how we can do that. Um, and just kind of going back to my daughter, who's uh, 17, and even my son, quite frankly, because he he applied for a, a different part-time job when we moved. Um, if the application was taking too long, they would get frustrated and close out of it. And by too long, something over five minutes. And they also noted that uh, that attention span piece, if they hadn't received a response back, whether it be auto-generated, whether it be a human being, within about 24 hours, they were thinking about whether or not they wanted to apply somewhere else that might be a little bit faster in responding. Um, and then if they hadn't talked to a live person within two to three days, they were convinced that they that they that someone else was hired and it wasn't them. Um, so that it, that's posed a little bit of a challenge for us just in the volume of people we're hiring to be able to uh, create those triggers that keep their attention long enough to give us, you know, seven to 10 days to go through, a, you know, hundreds of applications still, uh, which we're blessed to receive uh, to actually schedule interviews and, and make some job offers. So we're continuing to, to fine tune that process. You know, Sarah, you've got, you, <clears throat> and just for everyone to understand what we, what's, what Sarah just showed on you know, the things that they've learned from their workforce they really want as part of the, you know, that you're embedding into your EVP, for instance. Um, you're going to share in just a little bit, what are some of the things that you're doing to address those, which is awesome. But can you talk to this right here? Because this, I think, is a very interesting statistic yeah. on why Gen Z is so critical right now to you as well. Yeah, I, I know this is a little, little bit outdated, but I just, I felt like it still spoke to kind of where we are even today. And, and it's this this gap in in the QSR world for um, just workers in general. So, you know, 1.7 million teens were working in the restaurants in, in 2020, but that was exactly the same as it was 13 years prior. But QSR establishments are increasing at a rate of 16% over the same time period. So we're continuing to go backwards in the pool of candidates we have available to us in that age group, which is a, a crucial group for us. And then if you break that down even further and break that into two subgroups in that, that generation, we're finding that the um, more mature version or the 20 to 24 year olds are holding out for the higher wages um, to go along with their flexibility. And so those 16 to 19 year olds are filling in the gap. And um, as many of you, I'm sure are aware, there's also some challenges with people under the age of 18 and having, you know, parental involvement and, and how that applies to the workforce. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of different factors going into uh, how we recruit and some of the things that um, different folks are kind of expecting from their employers. One of the questions that came up in the chat a, a little bit ago, I wanted to, to hit back on since we're talking about some of the numbers here, and that's uh, turnover in your industry and at Dutch Bros mm -hmm. in particular. I mean, that's another challenge. You know, I think famously uh, QSR and retail customer service positions more broadly have pretty high turnover. Um, so how, how have you addressed that challenge? Someone asked that in the chat. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. We consider our turnover high, but we consider our turnover high as compared to where it's been in the past. Our turnover rate is just a tick over 70%, which in the QSR world is like, oh my God, what's your secret? Well, for us, that's actually 
relatively high um, and, you know, it has increased over, over time, but has kind of stabilized. And we've uh, seen in the last quarter, actually a, a dip in, in our turnover rate by a couple percentage points. But um, I think for, for our group of people, making sure that we don't lose the fun in the work is what's ultimately going to, to do it. Um, we're still working on competitive wages and you know, kind of explaining how, how that, uh, that whole process works across the country um, and how um, generous our, our customers are in, in providing tips to our employees who rely heavily on that income as well. Um, but as long as we continue to reinforce the reestablished brand and the culture, I think that's what's what's keeping us from continuing to increase that number. And for those of you who haven't had an opportunity to go through a Dutch Bros, once you do, all all of the all of this will make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, we've we've seen you've shown photos, Sarah, to those of us who've not had a chance because we don't live in the regions yeah. operating on what that experience is like. Can you just share a story real quick so people can get an idea of what that is? Yeah, yeah. I actually had um a a uh, colleague of mine who used to be in the shops. We also do a lot of just side note. We do a lot of um, internal recruiting for our HQ population as well. So our um, young professionals entering uh, into HQ are often pulled from our shops. Um, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, uh, turnover rate was 70, 70, Lisa. Just, I just saw that pop up. Um, so uh, her story was that uh, some years ago when she was in the shops, she had the opportunity to open one morning and a gentleman had come through who had never been through a, a Dutch Bros before. And she she had a conversation, asked him how his day was going, wanted to know a little bit more about him, make sure he was comfortable engaging with her. And he mentioned that he was new to the area, but that he didn't have any family. He had moved for a job and he was just having a rough day and that... Um, that she, or that uh, he just needed a cup of coffee. And she said, well, do you mind if I ask your name? And he's like, my name is Steven. And she's like, you know, Steven, it's nice to meet you. This, this cup of coffee's on me. She didn't have to ask permission from anybody else. She was a barista, but she had the opportunity to bless him with uh, a free drink uh, as a new customer and just as someone who needed a lift. Next day comes around, he comes through in the morning and she's working and she said, Steven, it's so nice to see you. And he said, I have to let you in on a little secret. You are the only person since I've moved who has called me by my first name because nobody knows who I am. People haven't gotten uh, taken the opportunity to learn who I, who I was except you. And it's so nice to hear someone actually use my name in my new home. And so that's the type of experience that we try to provide that every person who comes through the window in that moment is the only person that matters so that they, they can leave feeling even better than when they got there. You know, Sarah, I, what I, what I, that story, I think uh, everyone has, it pulls at your heartstrings, but as a geeky researcher, I, I'm, what I'm leading into is what you had mentioned around the autonomy piece. Yeah. That person had felt empowered to be able to do this. How do you make clear the, decision rights or the what they can do without going up the flagpole in that regard yeah how is that instilled yeah 
Um, most of most of our employees were prior customers, obviously, because they know they know about it. So they they see how that's demonstrated from the opposite side of the window. But we talk about it a lot too. We say that you know, in order to to have customers feel like they have a reason to come back, we have to show them that we care. And by doing so, we want to be generous, but also know that we're trying to run a business. So on, on a regular basis, they talk about it. There's, there's actually buttons on our, um, our menu that are for bad day drink, birthday drink, those kinds of things that kind of align with our, our app as well. But there are a couple that are specific for broistas to use. Um, and they, they recognize that they have to use that with care so that it doesn't go away. Um, so they've been really, they've just been really good to, to respect that it's a, it's a balancing act of doing it to, to create impact and not becoming an expectation. Awesome. And you know what, what's, you know, I know there's a lot of things you're offering and, and, you know, I, we've got, you know, the, the time's flying by as usual here. I, I hope that Tom doesn't, doesn't smack me upside the head here because this is his call and, and he's invited me as a guest. But I'm wondering, Tom, do people have the opportunity to annotate on this slide? No, we don't do that on, on the Next Practices weekly um, <clears throat> call series. Um, but um, nonetheless, there's a lot here. Um, I, I, I got the sense, too, that you map these to the eight characteristics that you shared yeah. earlier of, of the Gen Z. Um, so we'd love to hear from you, Sarah, what... Um, what yeah. what uh, you know, what are some of the highlights that you'd really like to draw attention to? You, you mentioned the sort of short um, trainings, the short attention span for the younger generation. So providing snackable trainings makes a lot of sense. But what are some other ones maybe you'd like to speak to here? Um, I think kind of, let's see, I'm trying to remember the, what I named each of them. But down on the third box on the right is, is kind of a fun one. It says developing the creative collective and building Dutch Bros Radio. Um, one of the things that we've really leaned into this year around that kind of identity uh, employees being able to tailor things to um, their experience and and having new opportunities that keep their attention while doing the work that's kind of expected of them from their uh, job description, if you will. Uh, but the Creative Collective is a group of uh, employees that submitted uh, to be our artists as well. So they're all people who work within the four walls. So they're all broistas or, or shift leads or assistant managers, that type of thing. Um, but they are individuals who create art that we then use for um, stickers. As a matter of fact, I believe it was either the May or June sticker was actually drawn by one of the members of our creative collective. Um, as well as some of our ads. So shoot videos for us. Um, and they're all done either on their phone or very, very organically because that's just the reality of what the population does. And they're extremely talented. So we've had a lot of fun um, curating uh, content from our creative collective group. And the Dutch Bros Radio is similar. It's just with music. So um, kind of budding musicians have the opportunity to submit um, songs unique to them that they would like to have us play over the uh, speakers in our Dutch Bros shops, um, which always starts really great conversations. And I'm sure many of them, you know, hope that one day an agent runs through and hears their music and gives them an opportunity. But uh, those are our two fun projects that we've been working on this year. I saw a um, comment pop up about the mental health first aid training 
which is in the box over there on the on the left of that. Uh, that's a training that we offer to all of our uh, employees and leadership, both in the field and at HQ. And that's how to support people who may be in um, a mental health crisis. Uh, we don't you know, suggest that we're trying to make them counselors by any stretch of the imagination, but we want to help them be able to identify when they see signs that someone might be in a crisis or need someone to talk to and how to either point them to the appropriate resources or ask the appropriate questions. Um, and we've, we've actually had quite a bit of success in, in that program this year. Uh, a lot of interest from our field employees, uh, field leaders. Uh, and then we're looking to complement that by launching the Calm app as a, um, as a benefit or a perk to our entire population of employees in 2024. That's our goal. Yeah, and you know, um... Sarah, just real quickly, can you hit upon this? Because, and then Tom and I want to pivot and talk about AI because that is such a hot button topic right now. But, you know, another hot button topic is around flexibility of work. And clearly, your your employees, the stores, need to show up on work. But, uh, and we've been emphasizing uh, our research continues to show you've got to think beyond the where, especially for workers who can mm. only get work done on a location. Mm-hmm. How can you talk about that providing flexibility and work schedule? What does that look like? And maybe you can expound upon other things too around that. Sure. So kind of from two different angles, one from our headquarters employees and then one from our field employees. So from our field population, it's it's always been uh, something that we look at as one of our missions is to provide a compelling future for our employees. But that compelling future doesn't necessarily mean that it's within Dutch Bros. So the flexibility that we offer in scheduling is so they can pursue their passion and their dream. We have a lot of college students, for example, who need to have flexibility in their schedule so they can continue to pursue their degree, which will ultimately lead them to the career that they're looking for. So uh, that's something that we offer. But then also with that flexibility, we look for those that are aspiring to continue to ascend um, the ladder internally and offering the opportunities that fit them best, whether that be in another shop in order to grow in a particular skill set, um, or if that is to continue to to work in the shop for as many hours as possible. So. Um, flexibility on that in that space. But on the HQ side, um, hybrid and remote work is something that we have opened up to our population. Um, They can only live and work in states where we have operations. So, you know, they can't live in Maine um, and expect to be able to work for us because we want them to be near a location so that they can still experience uh, what our, our field employees are going through. Uh, but uh, HR, for example, is more than, more than 50% of them are remote employees, including myself, um, uh, from our headquarters, which is located in Grants Pass. Um, and that's been a game changer for our ability to attract and retain professional talent because Grants Pass is a population of 30,000 employees. It's where the two brothers who started the business grew up, uh, but it's not the mecca for talent. That makes a lot of sense. And, and that's consistent with, with both our research and all the conversations we have with our members, where the sweet spot seems to be offering as much flexibility as makes sense for the business. So in your case, having the requirement be you can't live in a state where you don't have operations so that you experience Dutch bros can go in and get the coffee, see what the culture's like in the store, since that's what you're all about. Um, but at the same time, not requiring people to come in 
certain, you know, five days a week, if they're corporate or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even specific days, allowing for remote work, allowing for the flexibility and and, and lifestyle that that provides. Um, so it really is sort of, I think, threading the needle, if you will, but but finding that sweet spot for, for folks in the, in the corporate offices. I'll admit that it's it still is challenging um, uh, from a communication standpoint and a collaboration standpoint. Um, it's certainly not all, you know, roses, um, but it, uh, we're, we're working through it and folks are really grateful for it. And we see the um, uptick in our talent and our diversity as a result. Um, but we continue to look for ways and tools that can help everyone feel like they're in the same place, even though they're geographically distributed. I'm glad you you mentioned diversity there as part of the the uptick in, in the broader talent pool you've got. That was a question James just asked in the chat. Um, yeah. One quick clarification, Vanessa asked in the chat, can you share who provided the mental health first aid training? Um, was was that an outside? Uh, yeah, or? it's it's a it's an outside firm that provides the materials and then okay. train a trainer for you. And I'll I will get the name. I am remiss in not knowing. Not if you want, you could send it to me after after the call, and we can put it up Perfect. on the on the show notes. Um, you got it for the for this session. You got it. Perfect. So let's transition, Sarah, about you know AI and whether it's generative AI or perhaps other uh, types of AI. Hmm. How are you? How is Dutch Bros experimenting with it or using it to improve work, work processes, business processes uh, without? you know, affecting its unique culture? Yeah, it's a great question. I remember the original study that uh, you guys were doing and some of the questions you had asked. And initially I felt slightly embarrassed to think that we're so behind the times, but in fact, we're with a majority of people trying to just get an understanding of, of where AI is headed and where we want to invest our time and our energy. And and there's two areas right now that are specific to HR that we're looking at on a very fundamental uh, basis. One is related to kind of GP chat, uh, GPT chat. Uh, and using that tool in limited fashion, but complementing that with the human element. And it's we're doing some skills cloud work for those of you who are uh, Workday users, uh, where we're trying to build out uh, the skills in our database for every uh, position we have. And we have quite a few unique positions. Um, and what we did was we did an allocation using Workday skills list, and then we actually engaged the GPT chat function to create a list for us. And then we're cross-referencing those uh, to see where we can land with a, a robust skill set without having a laundry list. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's what our, our, our TA team is doing right now, just to kind of dip their toes in, in that space. And the other is in our HR service center team. Uh, we use Zendesk, for those of you who are familiar with Zendesk, it's our ticketing system. And we're starting to use AI to help prioritize the tasks for our employees. <coughs> Sorry about that. Oh, you go. I need some water. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. Sarah, I've been doing this the whole time. So uh, you know, just join the rest of us. That's okay. <laughs> I'm surprised I don't need coffee. What's happening? I just have water right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're, we're working through building out our, our Zendesk ticketing system to have the volume because our volume continues to increase for both employees and customers um, to have um, AI basically prioritize the tickets on our behalf so that employees only see the most uh, prioritized task in that moment. So uh, we have, you know, SLAs with all of our cross-functional teams of a 24-hour turnaround time for responses 
So while we have some auto-generated responses, we also know that there are unique circumstances that need to be prioritized above maybe some that come in first. So those are those are the two areas that we're starting with. Got it. And and um, are are there skill set differences, or when you think about HR supporting, you know, how maybe the work processes may change or work may change? Uh, mm -hmm. What are you looking for in HR that might be different? You know, I don't know that I don't know if different necessarily in um, developed skill sets, but more what we're looking for is those that are willing to adapt. Um, again, going back to our, our growth strategy, you know, HR tends to have very um, rigid um, expectations and, and programs and laws that they have to follow. And But we don't have that luxury as we grow because with all the employment laws that are changing, plus our growth model and how we enter into new states, having employees that are openly willing to be agile and adapt and willing to learn new skills on the job. Uh, we say sometimes we are um, flying the plane while we're building it. That's, that's very true. Um, but if you're game, then we are willing to invest uh, the time and energy in you to do that. Um, so that, that's something that we're looking at. And then problem solving skills, uh, which goes along with that, right? Uh, just that, that um, willingness to um, try um, new things and look for root cause and identify a problem and not just point it out, but then look for solutions. Um, that those are skills that fundamentally are are easy to build off of. If, if people Kevin, uh, I'm glad you asked the, her the question about the HR uh, skills and and what you look for 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 folks to join your team because uh, it allows me to to surface a question I had sort of skipped over from the chat. Shannon earlier had asked, given your growth. Um, yeah. What is the sort of cadence and factors that go into when you add and grow out the HR team itself? Um, mm. So is it number of new employees, the ratio of, of HR to, to total employees? Is it based on stores? What, what's the driving factors for growing the HR function? Yeah, we um, we have a shared service model. So it differs depending on which area of, of HR you're working on. We are going more on the ratio side for uh, what we call, we, we fondly call our HROC, which is our um, HR operations center, our HROC team, which are the first level, um, first, first line of defense for employment uh, questions. Um, and that team is right now on a ratio of about one to 1500 employees um, and not FTEs because we have a really, you know, large population of part-time employees, but um, one to 1500 uh, on a headcount basis. The rest of the team, uh, we are, we're trying to stabilize and not grow the teams in uh, the centers of excellence. So our health and welfare, compensation, our talent acquisition teams um, by ratios, but looking at how we can stabilize through automation, um, self-service, and vendor relations. Um, so uh, we're looking more to lean into those now that we have, I would say between five and 10 people in each of those centers of excellence. We feel like that's that's a healthy range and would like to start looking at other ways to um, create efficiencies. I just wanna comment also going back to the, the two ways that you said you're, you're sort of already experimenting and, and using 
AI, um, one, the sort of triaging with the priorities, um, I think that's a great you know way to use it to increase efficiency. So uh, I think that's a great use case. Um, and, and the other, um, you know, in both cases, I, I think it, they're, they're safe ways to be entering into this new world of generative AI. Um, and so I just want to give you kudos for being willing to do that. We're finding a lot of organizations are not doing that. And they're, you know, and, and there's certainly the public chat, G, G, chat GPT. There are issues around using it, um, putting company information into it and so on. But I think um, it's great to hear that you're taking an approach that is um, that is allowing people to use it in a sensible way to gain efficiency, to gain uh, greater productivity. Um, so kudos on, on that. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I attribute a lot of that to our overall culture of a fail forward culture. Mm. Um, we, we allow people to be brave to, you know, to a certain extent and try things that maybe they don't work um, all the time, but we learn from them. Um, and so folks are more than willing to put forward ideas and thoughts and could do's and then given some leash to try some of those things. Um, so with that in mind, I think that's why, why we've been able to do some of the things that we've been able to do. Well, Sarah, as we, as we round the corner here, how about you taking us around the corner? You know, when you think about, you know, over the next, you know, through the rest of this year and into next year, uh, what's a big bet you're placing on HR? I mean, where, where, where do you, what will advance Dutch Bros most in your, in, in what you are focusing your team on? And, you know, it, we'll focus on that first and then we might have a follow-up. Let's see. Sure. Um, gosh, there's, there's quite a few things that we're, we're hoping to work on, but we know there's only so much time and, and, and so much opportunity, but from an HR perspective where we are starting to adventure into the talent marketplace um, idea where we, we hope in the first part of the year to launch that um, through Workday where folks can kind of like LinkedIn, you know, build out their profile and get endorsements from their leaders and, and really kind of sell themselves on the skill sets that they have. That gig economy idea, although in and of itself is not something that we've necessarily adopted yet. We know that people are doing things out elsewhere and gaining skills that we just aren't aware of. And so we want to try to create uh, more opportunities for employees to move around the organization, uh, but creating that awareness. And also for our field, because we're growing so fast, we want to know what, what people desire as far as locations to live. Um, you know, we're saturated on the West Coast, but we have so much talent because it's so deep and long that we'd love for some of those people to be able to move to other parts of the country to establish our brand, but we don't know who those people are. Um, and so we're hopeful that employees will um, engage with this talent marketplace and, and promote their, you know, their desires, their skill sets, their, their opportunities for mentorship uh, that might cross-pollinate ideas and, and people. And so that would be applicable for both your company-owned and operated store employees, as well as the corporate, correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And Tom, I, I, are you about to intervene here? I just—I was just going to say that's certainly an area of talent mobility and internal talent marketplaces that a lot of I4CB members have been leaning into over the years. We've done a lot of research on that 
here at I4CP. Um, some organizations sort of focus it mostly on full-time or part-time roles. Uh, other organizations focus more on sort of smaller gigs and projects, but some focus on both at the same time, whether they're using Workday or, or another platform. So great to hear you're moving in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And and Sarah, one last thing, you know, um, what do you see? What what What's a big trend you see that you, um, are you most focused on that you feel could affect HR most as an industry going forward? Hmm. Well, I, one of the things that's really top of mind for us right now is just employment law in general. Um, there are so many changes happening, uh, both at the state level and at the federal level, um, and quite a few that are only half-baked that uh, em employers are expecting to implement when they don't really have you know, all the details listed out. Um, I'm, I'm sure many folks are um, acutely aware of the, the current situation with the I-9s. There's been a lot of chat even uh, with, among I4CP members about having to go back uh, with remote employees and visually look at IDs again, and they don't actually have it fully baked, but they have an expectation that everybody be compliant, you know, by the end of the summer. So um, we're, we're wrestling with how to, you know, be A-plus students, if you will, um, but doing it, you know, completely blind, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the uh, West coast states are, are you know, want to just be their own countries themselves and, and have all, you know, the exceptions to, to other laws. So no, no two states are, are running their employment laws the same and they're constantly changing. So we are, we're spending quite a bit of time in that space. Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as I4CP brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Also want to remind everyone uh, of our Next Practices Now conference. Again, this is now open for official registration next March 25th through the 28th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, you can register now if you're already making travel plans for the new year. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.